The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. How are we this morning? I literally heard not one, not, not even like a stirring. That was awesome. How are we this morning? Oh, all right. Great. Oh, I love, I love you, church. I love picking on you. If you have your Bibles, would you grab them? Would you uh, open with me to the book of Titus? Uh, we've been working through this book now for the past couple months, and I'm sad, but we're getting near the end. Um, it's been an incredible book, a timely book for, for us, and um, just to kind of catch us up a bit. So this letter was written by Paul to a man named Titus, and in this letter, he's giving instructions to the church, giving instructions to a church here in, in ancient Crete, a church who lived in a pagan culture who did not love the gospel, um, in a church that, that Paul is giving them instructions so that they could live out the gospel in this culture, to be in the world, but to not be of the world, bringing, as we've talked about, shalom, and as Paul says, to adorn the gospel and by the way they live. So Paul, in addressing this church, he starts with leadership. Uh, leadership matters, and leadership in the church matters greatly. So right off the bat, Paul starts with giving us qualifications for elders in the church. He says, this is what your elders should look like. This is who you should look for. Then after leadership, he moves into the congregation. And, and he says in, in chapter 2, this is the way we should live and function together as the church, in the church, and in our, our homes. This is the way discipleship should work. And then as we saw last week, we shifted gears a little bit, and now Paul is moving us out into the community, moving us out um, into our community. So a, a way to think about this, it's not as clean as what I'm about to share, but this is kind of helpful for us to frame Titus. So we have chapter one, leadership in the church, chapter two, leadership in the church in the home, and then finally in chapter three, we have leadership in the church, home, and community. And that's what we've seen before us. And so last week we rolled into chapter three and we started with the big word remind. And we talked about the reminders. The, the, the key for, for Paul in giving this word to Titus was not, hey, Titus, go share with them a bunch of new stuff. It was, Titus, remind them. Bring them back to what they have been told. Remind them. And what we talked about last week is the most powerful messages for us are those reminders. It's bringing us back. We who are prone to wonder, to get distracted, to forget, to bring us back. So last week, Paul gave us seven really practical reminders. Seven reminders from verses 1 and 2. Um, that we're able to walk with Christ, adorning the gospel. He says, remind them to be submissive to authority. Remind them to be obedient. Remind them to be ready for every good work. Remind them to speak no evil, to slander no one. 
Remind them to avoid quarreling. Remind them to be gentle and remind them to show perfect courtesy and humility toward all people. And each of these reminders were, were given to us to shape our lives. To shape our lives. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, in this way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And as we imagined last week, can you imagine if the church excelled at these things? Can you imagine the impact that that would bring? As Jesus said, it would cause them to see our good deeds and glorify our God. And so this morning, we continue in this. And uh, we're going to get to see a handful more reminders. And these reminders are going to remind us of the why, the, the, the because. Um, I want you to hear me. The gospel is not about behavioral modification. It's not. The point of the gospel is not to make us more well-behaved. It's, it's not. Um, for all of us to focus on our good works and to go from being good people to better people for Jesus, that's not the picture that Scripture paints for us. Jesus doesn't just want to take, step in and say, hey, everyone who's good, let me, let me show you the way to be better for Jesus. That's not what Scripture says about you. So this morning, what Paul's going to do is put our good works into their place, into their right place. He's going to give us reminders that are going to serve for us as our foundation for all that we do. I want to go out on a limb. Last week, those seven reminders I just, I just read through. I'm going to go on a, out on a limb here and say, if you were to focus all of your energy on all seven of those things, and that became your mantra, your life, apart from Jesus, if you were to focus all your energy right here, you will only be frustrated. It will lead to frustration and it will lead to emptiness because life is more than just striving to be well-behaved. The gospel is so much more. And Paul's going to remind us of that this morning. So, first off, Paul says, Titus, I want you to remind them of the bad news. Of course, he doesn't say that, but my synopsis. I want you to remind them of the bad news. And before we read this, you know who I believe the person to be pitied most of all? It's, it's not the broken person, the person who is at rock bottom, the person who is just crying out. It's not the person who is broken who knows they are broken. That's not the person to be pitied most. The person to be pitied the most is the person who is broken yet doesn't know it. The person who is broken yet does not admit it. The person who is broken yet denies it. The person who has deceived themselves and who is working really hard to deceive others into thinking that they are awesome, that they are okay, that everything, they got it together, they have their life, they're going to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. The person to be pitied the most is the person who is broken and who denies or doesn't realize it. We're going to come back to this. But 
This is why when I say, when Paul says, remind them of the bad news, Paul's aim here is not to depress you. I hope you don't walk away from this place with that. It's not to depress you. It's to call us to the truth apart from Jesus. So, church, we have to start here. Paul says this, for we ourselves were once, and I want to pause here. Notice, he says, we. He could have said you. Y'all. You guys. He could have. But he says we. He, he says we, meaning he identifies himself into this. He identifies a group, a collective, and he is in a part of this. This is an inclusive we. He identifies himself here, and so should we. What I mean by this is this reminder that Paul is about to give this church is not just for the ancient church of Crete. This is not a y'all thing. This is not a you guys thing, depending on where you're from. This is a we thing. We were once at one time, meaning Paul is reminding us of our past identity, of who we once were. He says, remind them that we were once, and here he goes, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Let's dig in together into this. Remind them first that they were once foolish. Foolishness, this is the condition of a person outside of the work of Jesus. It's thinking that we are wise. It's thinking that we are in control. It's thinking that we've got it figured out when we do not. As I said, the person to be pitied the most is not the broken person who knows they're broken. It's the broken person who doesn't. And at the heart of it, that is what is at the heart of being a fool. Remind them that they were once foolish. One of the books of the Bible that speaks so well to this is the book of Proverbs. Um, You're going to find this idea of wisdom and foolishness just all over in Proverbs. Uh, I I want you to listen to just three of them. I could have picked more. I picked three. Listen to this and and see what Paul is is highlighting here, identifying here. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 12:15 says, "The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice." Proverbs 28:26 says, "Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered." Proverbs is so clear. The fool does not listen to God or search for God. And in fact, David says in Psalm 14, the fool says he doesn't even need God. And why is that? Because the fool has deceived himself into thinking that he is wise. That he doesn't need help, doesn't need instruction, does not need it, does not need saving. In other words, the fool is the broken person who does not realize that he is broken. The fool should be pitied above 
all others. They may look fine on the outside. They may look like they've got things together and they don't need anything. But they are unaware or unwilling to admit the truth of their brokenness. This is why foolishness is so often connected to pride. And this is why wisdom is so often connected to humility. Paul says, remind them, them, remind us that we were once foolish. Fools who did not know God and did not know we needed Him. Did not know, did not care. Fools who were content being broken. Foolish. Remember, that was you. That was us. Remember, we were once foolish. And not only that, Paul says, remind them, not only that they were, that we were foolish, but remind them that we were disobedient. This doesn't need all that much unpacking. (laughs) We know what that means. Disobedience is honestly the best way to showcase foolishness. It really is. It's, it's, in other words, foolishness is the inner condition. It's the heart. Disobedience is how foolishness expresses itself, lives itself out. A fool says, I know what's best. I got this. I don't need instruction. I don't need to be told what to do, which leads right into disobedience. Does that make sense? He's building here. A fool says, I do not need God, and disobedience says, therefore, I do not listen to him. Remind them that, they were, that we were foolish. Remind them that we were disobedient. And next, he says, remind them that we were led astray. This is a big one. This is a really big one. Um, there are a lot of voices out there. So many voices that are all telling us different narratives, different stories. One of the best examples of this, and I hope not to pick on anyone in here, is diets. I don't want to pick on anyone. If you're in here on a diet, rock on. Keep going. Um, But regardless of what diet you choose, right now through your little, your phone, you could open that up, open up your browser and find hundreds of voices who are telling you you're right. That this is it. This is going to fix you. This is going to be it. This is the perfect way to live your life and to eat your food. At the same time, you could pull that same phone up, open that same browser, and find thousands of voices telling you you're wrong. No matter what diet you choose. There are a lot of voices a lot of voices, loud voices, telling you different narratives, different things, passionately. Now, we get that in the dieting world, right? Whether you are vegan, paleo, keto, Mediterranean, pescatarian, fruititarian, vegetarian, carnivore, Plant-based, I could, I'm sure I missed someone in here. Um, regardless of where you are, in the diet world, we hear all the voices and we get it. We understand that's just the world we live in, right? But it's not just the dieting world. 
What is true for diets is true for philosophy, for theology, for all other aspects of our lives. We have a lot of loud voices telling us a lot of different things, often in straight contradiction of each other. It's like a storm of ideas. And Paul says, remember that storm when you once had no anchor? And it was just tossed and tossed, and that sounds good, and then that sounds good, and then remember when you were once led astray, like someone who picks a different diet every week. If that's you in the room, again, I don't mean to pick on you. There's a better way, though. Stick with it, all right? Tossed aside led astray like a ship without an anchor. Remind them that we were once foolish. Remind them that we were once disobedient and remind them that how we were once so easily led astray. Remind them. Next, Paul says, remind them that we were once slaves to various passions and pleasures. This is a big one because it speaks to something that I think we fail to see sometimes. At the start of this letter, for example, um, in so many places in the New Testament, Paul identifies himself as a servant or a slave of God. He says, that's who I am. And throughout all Scripture, it talks about us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, being servants of Christ, being slaves of the Lord, right? In fact, one of the most common expressions as we think about Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. Meaning, in Christ, church, we have a master, We have a Lord. But here's the misconception that I want to highlight here. I think we can find ourselves preaching the gospel or thinking of the gospel and start to think that we weren't slaves before. What I mean by this is we can start to think that, you know, remember once when we were free, when we could do whatever we wanted? Remember once... When we, before we came to Christ, we answered to ourselves, and now we must submit and give up all that freedom to follow Jesus? But church, that is not the way Scripture paints your condition. That is not what the Bible tells you about you. That's also not what you tell you about you. I hope that made sense. That's not what Scripture says. In fact, and instead, Scripture says that we are both slaves and free, and that we have always been both a slave and free. The question, church, is to what? Listen to this. Romans 6.20, Paul here in a different book says, For when you were slaves of sin... Remember, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. In other words, you weren't bound to righteousness. You were slaves to sin. And here's Paul's question. And what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. In other words, Paul says, and how did that work for you? How did did that go for you? Then he contrasts this and he says, but now, but now that you have been set free from sin 
and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, church, you will have a master. You are a slave to something, either sin leading to death, leading to shame, leading to brokenness, or to Christ leading to sanctification in life. The question is not, are you a slave? The question is, who are you going to serve? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that freedom, church, is from the bondage of sin. So Paul says, remember, when you were once enslaved, remember when you were slaves to your old master, Slaves to passions and pleasures. And remember when your sin was your master. Remind them that we were foolish. Remind them that we were disobedient. Remind them that we were led astray. And remind them that we were slaves to sin. I know I'm encouraging you this morning. We're getting there. Paul says next, remind them how we once spent our days in malice and in envy. In other words, remind them how not great that life was. It was days spent in malice, mean-spirited, vicious, not joy, not even happiness. It was malice. And the irony here is that the more we try to organize our lives to fulfill our passions and be slaves to our desires and passions the more we allow them to be our master, we are not ultimately led to fulfillment. We are not ultimately led to joy and happiness. Instead, when we seek to fulfill our own pleasures and passions, it leads us to misery. And don't we know this to be true? We've seen countless people pursue pleasure, pursue wealth and position and status, and only to get it all and to be miserable, to just be miserable, filled with malice. Paul says envy, because here's the reality. As we seek to fulfill all of our passions and our pleasures, we never are able to get enough to satisfy, leaving us always to envy those who may have something that we don't yet have. To look around and think, if only I had that. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, Titus, remind them that their life was not happy, was not one of joy, but was one of malice and anger. Remind them of that. One of emptiness and envy. Remind them of that. And lastly, here in the bad news, Paul says, remind them that we were once hated by others and hating one another. In other words, it wasn't just that we were broken on the inside. It wasn't that we were just broken vertically between us and God. But Paul says, remind them of how broken they were together. Their relationships. Remind them of the hate and the animosity that they felt and that they had toward each other. Remind them. 
remind them that their lives were broken, leading to a brokenness on the inside and out. Remind them who we once were. And church, it is so important to see this. It is so important to understand who we once were. Here's the reality. The gospel, the good news, is really not all that good if there's no bad news. The light is not all that bright without darkness. Grace is not all that amazing if we don't really need it. I've mentioned this before, um, but this is actually one of the predominant reasons why we came here, God has called us here to plant a church in north central San Antonio and not somewhere else. Um, I remember when we were planting Stone Oak Bible Church, before it even had its name, obviously, uh, we were praying for where the Lord would have us and lead us. And uh, I was asked when we kind of were feeling the Lord leading us here, why would you plant in north central San Antonio? Um, Why not downtown? Why not to any other area that is hurting more? I would be asked questions like, I I would get this, why would you plant a church in north central San Antonio? Those people don't really need anything. Ding, ding, ding. That solidified it. That, God used that to officially solidify the call that he was working on through us to plant right here and to name our church Stone Oak Bible Church. That was it. Why? Because exactly what we said at the beginning, who is to be pitied most of all? It's the one who is broken yet does not know it. And I realized that as difficult as the road was going to be ahead, our calling was to bring the gospel to a community who by and large feel self-sufficient enough to not need it. I knew that our calling was going to be to preach the full gospel, starting with first the bad news, so that we're able to see the good news. To preach a gospel that is not, hey, good people, come to Jesus, and he's going to make you better people for Jesus but to preach a gospel that says, hey, broken sinner, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to sin, you are not okay. You are not good. Come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins because there is grace. Remind them of the bad news. Just don't leave them there. Just don't leave them there, because now Paul is going to remind us of the gospel of the good news. In fact, if you look at verse 4, we see that first word of verse 4, but. But. This is one of those buts in Scripture that change everything. Everything. We've said this before, but we've called these before the divine buts. We're going to see one in Ephesians here in a little bit, another one. 
where one word changes everything. In other words, all that stuff that I just said, oh, it is true. It is not good. It is dark. That was you. Remind them of how bad it is, that the good news is bad. Remind them of that but. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, it's the same language we've seen before in chapter 2 when he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. When the grace of God has appeared, the kindness of Jesus, our God and our Savior, when that happened, remember when the light pierced through the darkness and the good news met us in our bad news. Remember that. Paul says, remind them of this. And he says, remind them first that he saved us. It's another collective, not you, not y'all, us, that he saved us, meaning we could not lift ourselves up. We were slaves to sin, and we were set free. And just in case that we forget Paul then now says, this wasn't because you were really good or because you tried really hard. Paul says, remind them that, they, that he has saved us and remind them that it was not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Notice Paul even says here, even works done in righteousness, meaning even on our good days. Church, I want you to hear me. Jesus did not die for you for the good day version of yourself. I want you to hear me. Jesus did not die for the best version of you. That's not what Jesus died for. It was not because of your goodness at all. It was because of his mercy. Mercy, church, is when we do not get what we deserve. When we do not get what we deserved. When what we deserve is withheld. That's mercy. And how incredible is that? We just talked about our foolishness. We just talked about our disobedience. We just talked about our sin. We just walked under and felt the weight together of the bad news. And it would be really easy to just stop and to slip into shame and to stop and to slip into this woe is me, judgment is coming thing. But here Paul says, remind them that he saved us according to his mercy. He did not give us what we deserve. See, the bad news deserved death. But remind them that he saved us. And now, let's continue, because Paul says, remind them how he saved us. He, remind them that he saved us by or through or by means of the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen. Paul says, remind them of the washing of regeneration. This is our conversion church. When we go from death to life, remind them. The visual I cannot help but think of, I have a dog, um, beautiful dog, pure white dog. It's a white Siberian husky. When I say white, there is no other color. It's just, she is 
white, white, white. And I couldn't help but think of her when she goes out and plays in the mud, which happens all the time. And we have to spray her off with a hose. And the, that mud against the backdrop of her white fur, you just see it kind of washing off. I couldn't help but think about that because to think about us muddy with the bad news, the sin being washed and allowing it to just being made new, renewed by the Holy Spirit. And this image of my dog Luna is still on my mind when, when Paul uses this word, richly he poured, right? Because when my dog Luna is covered in mud, I don't spritz her and squirt her lightly. I lavish water upon her to get that mud off of my dog. And I could not help but think about this imagery that Jesus, our God, would lavish His Spirit on us. That the good news is like that, church. Overcoming the bad. Light overcoming the dark. The Spirit renews and washes us clean. Remember who we once were. Dead in our trespasses and sin, but God. And remember, He saved us. Remember that He saved us because of His own mercy. Remember that He washed us and made us new. And next, don't, don't, don't stop early. He says, remind them, remember that we are heirs. Paul says, so that being justified by His grace, again, not by works, not because we're good, not because we get our act together, but justified by His grace. By the way, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace is when we get what we do not deserve. And what is that? Justification. Being made right before God. We did not deserve that. That was a gift of the grace of God. And Paul says, we are justified that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Remind them that we are heirs. Heirs. This is a word that refers to someone who's going to receive something as a possession or a beneficiary. And here in this text, Paul says, remind them that we are heirs of the gospel of good news. Remind them that we inherit the hope of eternal life. We talked about all the bad news leading to death and misery and pain, and Paul says, now remind them of the good news and where it leads. Remind them of the good news that leads to hope of life, of joy. Remind them. In the first two verses of this chapter, Paul reminds us of the good works. Verses 1 and 2 reminds us of how we should live in the community. And, by the way, he's going to drop right back into this next week. And like what we talked about last week is so important. But those good works cannot ever be separated from the foundation of the gospel, the why. They cannot in other words, we are not saved through our good works. We are saved to good works. They cannot be separated. This week, Paul is reminding us of our foundation. He says, remind them of the bad news. Start there. Remind them of the bad news, that we were once foolish, disobedient, 
that we were once led astray and slaves to various passions and pleasures. Remind them that we once spent our days in malice and envy. Remind them that we were once hated by others and hating one another. Remind them of that bad news. But don't leave them there, because then remind them of the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He saved us, that it was by His mercy and not our works, that He washed us, regenerated us, renewed us, remind them that we are heirs together with Christ. Remind them. In other words, let us be reminded this morning that through Christ, the bad news is not just ignored, The bad news has not just been modified with good behavior. It wasn't like, here's the bad news, now staple good deeds on it. That's not it. But through Jesus, let us be reminded that the bad news has been overcome. Like darkness that enter, or like light that enters a dark room. Remind them, hear me, church, that we do not behave ourselves into heaven. But God saved us, renewed us, washed us, regenerated us by His grace and His mercy. We are now heirs with hope secured in Jesus. The good news is bad, or the bad news is bad, but the good news is better. The bad news is bad, but the good news is better. Let us be reminded this morning of the simple gospel. Because if there is anything, anything that we are prone to forget, that we are prone to simply forget it's the simple gospel. We call it around here gospel amnesia, the strange phenomenon that happens to us, to all of us, that we're prone to forget, prone to wonder. Church, let us remember this morning. Let us remember. And I want to close this morning a little bit different. I want to close by actually reading for us um, a passage out of Ephesians. Um, where Paul is going to take this and he's just going to apply it deeper to our hearts. And uh, what I'd like to ask you to do with me before I read this is if you would just, in this moment, I invite you to just bow your head with me and close your eyes because I'd like to approach this with prayer. God, as we read this text... Would you apply this to our hearts, to our minds, to our lives this morning? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh God, would you help us to see the truth of your gospel, that we were dead and that because of your grace we are made alive. You do not love us for our good behavior. You love us and you demonstrated your great love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, you are not looking for good people who you are wanting to make better people. You call the broken. We were broken sinners, dead in our sins, and we have been made new, forgiven, and made alive. Help us this morning to be reminded of that. Church, in this moment, as we continue in this prayer, for anyone here who you hear all of this and you just don't know if you've ever truly been made new, you don't know if you've ever been saved by Jesus. Maybe you hear this message this morning, you read this text, and your eyes are starting to open to see the truth of the bad news. But you have never experienced or responded to the good. There is salvation in Christ. For those here living in the bad news, Listen, through Jesus, God is offering you the good news, the gospel, that there is forgiveness, grace, mercy, newness of life, hope in Jesus Christ. God, I pray for every person here who you are working on and in right now. Lord, for every person here, that you would give them eyes to see that you would open their eyes and their ears, that you would open their hearts. Father, I pray boldly that you would save them. And that today would be the day that we would respond to the gospel together. So Lord, would you continue to do that work in the name of Jesus. Amen.